0: I'm Nels Anderson. And I'm Jesse Turner. And I'm Seth Rosen.
1: And welcome to Terminal Seven. And we return once again.
2: That's right. What episode is this, Nels? This
1: is episode eight. I think it's eight. I'm pretty yeah. sure it's eight. Pretty sure it's eight. Eight. Yeah. We're, eight not even, good. we're not even into double digits, and we're already like, I don't. Which one it is? Why are, why are you um, forgetting? It? It's the best. Uh, so, basically, we have a guest once again today, which is awesome. But before we do that, we're going to do a really, really quick news news thing in case people don't necessarily pay attention to like the latest news from the website. Or
2: want to listen to Seth.
1: Or want to listen to Seth. You Thin. don't.
2: <laughs> um,
1: uh, Fear and Loathing, the latest data pack for the game, came out very recently, um, but it's not quite in our feisty little fingers yet it hasn't made its way to the great white north um but as soon as we do we'll talk about it so the next episode will definitely be about fair and loathing um additionally some very cool stuff the next set of small data packs uh is called the lunar cycle Sounds right. Yes.
2: Sounds right. I guess. Yeah. FFG just
1: announced that, like, after probably starting this summer and then going on for like six data packs, like they've always done. There's a set of cards that are all about like crazy netrunner stuff on the moon. Oh, that's pretty awesome. Which is actually really sweet. (laughs) That's cool. Uh, It look it looks very cool. um, But once again, we're not going to talk about that until it's released. But if people want to check that out and haven't, it's on FFG's website. The first pack is actually called Upstock referring to the beanstalk. the beanstalk, which is a big old space elevator, which is cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and then finally, in a d- bit of additional newsy tidbit, uh, FFG just posted a bunch more information about what is going to be on the Jinteki side of Honor and Profit. Yeah, huge post on yeah. the, the all, all three of the identities, all of them are awesome. <laughs> yeah, And a bunch of other really badass stuff. Uh, again, we're not going to talk about any of that until it's actually released. But if folks want to check it out, they should totally go onto the internet. And do so. Mm-hmm. Agreed. But the reason why we're here today, this day, this day of days, is to talk to our buddy Seth. That's right, Seth. How's it Hi, going, Seth? Seth? Hey guys, I'm pretty good. Uh, so Seth, we we are actually going to intro our guest properly. This <laughs> I know we night. we
2: learned our lesson. <laughs> yeah. Sorry,
1: Lee. Um, <laughs> Seth Rosen is a he's a game designer. He previously worked at the unfortunately now defunct Irrational Games. Indeed. The makers of System <laughs> yeah. Shock, Two yeah. Bioshock. Uh, most recently, Bioshock Infinite, and a bunch of other really rad games. But if folks also didn't hear that news just the day before yesterday, or probably later, I guess, when you're actually listening to this podcast, uh, Irrational Games doesn't exist anymore. That's right. At least not really in any meaningful fun- meaningful representation of the way it used to be. Yeah,
0: it wasn't really clear if they're going to continue using the name or not, but the the studio as we know it has been
1: shuttered. Yeah, for all intents and purposes. Wow. Um, but, fortunately, Seth was not very sad a couple of mornings ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because, what, like three, four months ago? Uh, Almost five now. Almost five months yeah. ago, uh, Seth moved up here to Vancouver to join Clay Entertainment, which is where our awesome audio lord, Matt Martinson, also works. That's right. Um, So, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, are you
2: like the rat that smelled the ship sinking before it left the port? Because I... you left so early.
0: I... I... <laughs> I am a rat, and I spelled so. No, so, I mean, I, I definitely, like, am not super surprised to hear that Irrational has shut down. Um, I had some inkling that it might be going in that way, just based on, like, the sort of messaging that was happening in, in team meetings and stuff like that. Uh, but more than that, it was that I really wanted to come work at Clay. This place is pretty rad. Cool. And so is Vancouver. That's right. Vancouver's not a bad place. Uh, You're you're
2: originally from Boston.
0: Yes. That's right. So this is my first time going out into the wide, weird world. Yeah. And what do you do? Uh, I am a game designer. Game Um, designer. So my title technically at Clay is technical designer. That's too much technicality. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, yeah, so I, I write some code. I do some systems design. I... Kind of make video games happen. Great.
2: yeah, That's cool. So it's kind of like you're in the same kind of uh, professional th- cloud as uh, Nels is in, uh, in, in some ways. You, or no?
0: you could say that considering yes. I, for all intents and purposes, took his job. <laughs>
1: <Yes>. <laughs> I, uh, I, I used to also used to work at Clay, as we mentioned before, because I was the lead designer on Mark of the Ninja. And I left to help start a new place called Campo Santo back in August... Oh, yeah, in September, something like that. Um, and basically, Seth showed up like right as I was leaving. I was like, Oh, it's gonna be really cool to work with Seth. Oh, wait, never mind. There's not gonna be any overlap. Well, <laughs> <shit>. <laughs> all your
2: stuff's in a box, and you're just waving. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I, 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 sorry, I just want to say I'm in no way being have levity of a company closing down. Uh, that it, it, it happens a lot, and like, I'm not like, Oh, it, yeah, Irrational wasn't a sinking ship. Like, please, please, please don't flame me for that. Just studio shut down a lot, and really. I'm sad for everybody that got let like, go. Oh, that's really, really crummy. Yeah, super bummer. Uh,
1: yeah. Us all having been in the industry for this long, kind of the only way we deal with this stuff is gallows humor. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's definitely.
2: I couldn't have said it better, and yeah. I didn't. So thank you, Snails.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, but. We don't talk about video games. That's right. Talk about Netrunner. That's right. Let's talk about
0: Netrunner. It's a game on a table.
1: So uh, Seth is with us today uh, because um, this episode is going to be a little bit more beginner centric. Not in any way to diminish Seth's experience or talent with the game.
0: Although that said, I did come in second to last in the tournament the other week <laughs> to a twelve year old. So <laughs> you said <laughs> it, not me. Um,
1: but Seth is the person who kind of who whom we know that is the most recent to the game. Uh, yeah. and so I thought kind of talking about, like, kind of, so, I mean, as, as we kind of identified before we started the podcast, like, this, if you have no idea how Netrunner works, this is still not going to help you, <laughs> and we are never going to be able to help you in that regard. Because trying to explain that just with voice is just about the worst possible way to learn the game. Yeah, if you saw the amount of... Hand movements, Nels just hit you. <laughs> <laughs> it's worth. I can't even pretend not to do it. That's true. Yeah. Um, so if you're looking for just basic information about how the game works because you've never ever played it, sorry, this is just not ever gonna be the place to do that. Um, there's really good, awesome videos. Uh, actually, shut up and sit down just did a let's play of. Yeah, heard, that was great. Where uh, where Quinns stomp poor Matt. <laughs> My
2: favorite part about that as uh, a segue is that Quinns was winning and he just kept saying it's okay. Yeah. It's okay. It's like like it's it fine. felt like he's putting this pillow over <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, sh- sh- us. Because...
1: Sh- it's fine. Eventually, <laughs> it's fine. your breathing See. will stop. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then FFG put out like a good twenty minute. I this was out actually like late last year, but I never saw it. They did like a good long like twenty minute explanation video for the game, which is also awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you have no idea how the game works at all, go check out one of those things or find a good friend who plays the game who can teach you. That's right. But if you have played like. Two or three games, and you understand the basics of how the rules of the game actually work. And now you're trying to figure out, okay, well, how can I be a bit more competent and successful? Like, what is the stuff that early on you just had these moments of realization? Like, oh, I didn't get. Now I, it feels like there's a lot of those mm-hmm. early on in Netrunner.
0: Yes, absolutely.
1: Yeah. What is some of the stuff that, like, <clears throat> maybe during the tournament or previously that you're like, oh man, now I get,
0: blah. <laughs> <laughs> so, before I dive into that question, uh, just, like, a quick bit of background on my history with Netrunner. Uh, I started playing, yes. or rather, I picked up a copy in August of last year, and then because I was busy relocating and all that, didn't actually play until probably, like, two months ago? Mm. Um, or, well, play in earnest. Uh, I yeah. think, Nels, you had introduced me a couple times just, like, using your decks, yeah. showing me how it all works, Um uh, and the first things I learned was that I was playing it wrong. <laughs> uh, yeah, because like, I, I I played once with my own set before I got out here and started playing with more veteran players. And as, as you probably know, if you're listening to this, the manual recommends that you
1: play with Shaper and Jinteki to start. Uh, Which I think is actually a really weird recommendation. Um, because as much as I love Jinteki... Uh, as a corporation, especially the the stuff they have in the core set, is really hard to use. Yeah. Um, like, there's lots of traps and stuff, which is, like, not super great for the runner because then, like, I've seen this happen sometimes where if the very first game people play is against Gentechie and they, like, immediately die hitting a June bug or whatever because they thought, it's like, well, that must be an agenda. That's how I win the game. They're scared then, of everything. Then they get super nervous about running ever, right? Yeah. Yep. And as the runner, it's actually very hard win if you don't make a lot of runs so i don't get like it feels like a better core matchup is either core hb or core Wayland. um so hb was the first corp that
0: corp deck that i made mm -hmm. on my own uh and i absolutely do not think that beginner players should start with that really yeah uh and and why is that the main thing is the ice is super super porous (laughs) yeah uh which, I guess because
1: you can just click through all right, of Right,
0: right. So, like, you are playing as a new player, as HB, and your friend is playing as a new player. They see a piece of ice that they can just click through, and they're going to fucking do it. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, so... And I, I guess I th- that
1: maybe sets up the weird expectation that that, in general, is how ice works. Broadly, right. rather than it's just like, oh no, it's just this one weird subset of this one particular faction has all this like click to get through ice.
0: Yeah, so be- yeah, because yeah. of that, I think like Wayland with with pieces of ice, like Ice Wall and Hydrian's Wall and that kind of stuff that's just like very straight up, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you put out this ice, it costs you X credits to res, and then it is a barrier of this strength, and the runner can use their ice breakers to bypass it, and that's like a really, really clean example of how the whole runner interacts with ice and things happen because of it mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or runner is able to bypass it, mechanic works. Um, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. That,
1: that's probably true. I, I say, yeah, I'd probably actually say maybe Core Shaper versus Wayland is the most yeah, straightforward.
2: also because Neural Katana to a new player is confusing. Oh, brutal. It's, yeah. and it's it Like so, Okay, first my hand's gone. Yeah. So you've, you've zapped my brain so I don't feel good about this. And then, I am I through? Like, yeah. does that, but you're actually, you're through. And yeah. that's another weird thing about Ice that new new players get quite confused at. Yeah. Like does ice always end the run? Like I I totally remember
0: being there. And- oh yeah. Yeah. Uh so so if you're just starting out, absolutely recommend like just putting together the basic decks of Shaper and Wayland and running with that. Yep. But once you're at a point where you're you're sort of brave enough to tackle the the whole deck building thing yourself, which as I said I, I finally did a couple months ago. Um, so when when I bought Netrunner, I got, I got it at a time where the corset was rather hard to find on its own, so I ended up buying like a thing on eBay that was the core set and three data packs, which meant nothing to me at the time. Right. <laughs> uh, so I, I actually had an inflated card pool to start, which made it more intimidating. Um, mm. And eventually, I just like sat down and spent an entire afternoon reading through all the cards and getting familiar with them, and then being like, okay, now I know what I have in my toolbox... What can I do with this? (laughs) I didn't make a shaper deck, though. (laughs) I ended up making a criminal deck, uh, specifically because even though I'd read all these cards and, like, was beginning to understand the types of things I could do, I didn't have a strategy formulating, uh, like a, a, what is my path to victory? Because that's a really important thing to kind of build your deck around. And typically you want to have, like, two or three, right? Um, Your, like, main way and then some backup plans. Uh, so I ended up making a criminal deck that used Gabriel Santiago, who gets two credits the first time that he accesses or makes a successful run on HQ, um, because I was like, oh, well, I should run HQ a lot. That's super easy. Like, that's <laughs> obvious then. Uh, and I ended up making this criminal deck that was, like, Sneak Door Beta and Nerve Agent and Pheromones and Demo Run and, like, all this stuff that was very, very geared towards hitting HQ and hitting it hard, which wasn't a terrible idea, but it was, it was like, too focused on that, actually. Um, so one of the first things... The first lesson I learned from my own deck building was when I switched out and used Andromeda instead. And in, obviously having the nine cards in your hand to start is super, <coughs> super, super useful, um, and it just, like, gets you up and running really fast. But more than that having Andromeda out as, like, the first thing that my opponents saw meant that they didn't necessarily ice up HQ instantly, which when they saw Gabe, they absolutely did. Mm. Um, So I I learned very quickly the value of misinformation and misdirection. Um, So the the deck has refined since then, but it's still largely the same thing. Like, I've got uh, my Nerve Agent and my stake Door Beta and my Demo Runs still. Um I've I've sort of fanned out a little bit more so that I can hit other places effectively. But just being able to like pull my nine cards out with Andy and actually this happened once in the tournament against the twelve year old, which was the only person that I beat <laughs> Uh I, I pulled out my nine cards and I had a sneak door beta and a nerve agent and a demo run, and like on my second turn I'd wiped out his hand and he had had like one piece of ice on HQ and I had my Sneak Door Beta out so I was just like hammering him. <laughs> oh, wow. And and just like being able to kind of flop that all on the table at once was like, that was the actually the first time that my deck like really, really clicked. Nice. Um, Perfect. Like, yeah. Let, let it be known that that doesn't sandbag. That's right. <laughs> Children get no punches
1: pulled. <laughs> That's right.
0: But I learned from the best in That's that right. respect. That's <laughs> right. There you go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
1: Um, well, I mean, it's probably good that we can just start talking about the runner side of things. Yeah. Um, Probably the first big thing without question is, as the runner, you want to make a lot of runs all the time. Like, probably one of the the biggest um, things you learn, overcome, whatever, early in the game is like, oh, I need to sit back and install all my programs, get oh, yeah. all my consoles and hardware ready. Okay, now now it's time to start playing the game. Yeah. Because if you're playing against anyone's experience, by the time you get to that point, you've lost. <laughs> yeah. you, you either either they're so far ahead, you're never going to catch up or literally the game was over before you even got to that point.
3: Right. Um
1: yeah. Because the big dynamic between the runner and the corporation is generally the corporation is going to have way, way, way more money than the runner because they don't have to pay to use any of their cards, aside from operations, I guess, until they actually flip them over. Yep. So it looks like, you know, the, the corporation is sitting on like, oh my God, they have like 15 credits. But if they have like seven unresed pieces of ice on the table, that 15 credits is almost certainly not going to res all that ice. Yeah. So they're way, they're actually don't have as much money as... You would think they do just looking at like their raw, their giant stack of credits sitting on the back of the table, right? Um, But obviously, the corporation can do all kinds of terrible stuff like fast advance agendas or give you a C source trace and blow you up or whatever if they're sitting on all that money. Yeah. So, the biggest advantage to running, even if there's almost no chance you're actually going to break into any servers, is the corporation has to put down credits to keep the runner out. Or do something else bad to them with the ice they're resing. Yeah, yes.
2: functionally the idea of the permanence in this game is so huge. Like, I've res this ice and it's here forever. Uh, that That's so intimidating to a runner. So mm-hmm. but runners like Need Osno is like he needed to pay some money to do that. Yeah. And since he's doing that, he's not doing something else, like protecting his remotes or protecting yep. his HQ. Yeah. Or that kind of thing. And so it's like getting over the fear of running because again, like there's mean ice, like Neural Katana. Right. Is every ice like Neural Katana? I don't know. I just started playing this damn game. Like, right. Yeah. So so it's, it's 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 good to get into a habit of like you gotta make him red stuff. And yep. also it's like it's it's when I got to the point where I'm like, I run it. Like I just didn't even think about it. When you yeah. just start running, like that's that's when you, you start getting a lot more confident as a runner and yeah. sure you're gonna lose some games, but that's why you just keep playing, right? So
0: so you guys talking about like being comfortable just running, plowing into unresed ice, I think is actually an, uh, that that was something that I needed to get comfortable with before I started playing at all effectively. Um, and it's a nice segue into the fact that running with no rig is incredibly strong. Yeah, because yeah. most of the ice that can actually do something bad to you relies on you having a thing to take away. That's right. Yeah, yeah.
2: like program destruction. Yeah, right.
0: Like I see, I see a
2: lot of new players. They'll res ichi. Like uh, they'll first res ichi against a regulars runner. Right. As like, okay, you need to understand. You just spent a pile of money, and I don't even the care old, that these. The only thing you get is a
1: trace one. Yeah. that They could click through anyway. Yeah. <laughs>
2: and, and and it's and uh, like like I think James Lance mentioned today on Twitter, it was. Oh yes, it was. You just
1: like running, running rigless. It's it's like liberating. It's it's yeah. It, it's, yeah. It's, Specific, it's super. Specifically, what James said. Like I put out a little call on Twitter to be like, so people, what are, what's your advice for uh, you know people who are just getting into the game? Um, and James, who won our last tournament. That's right. Uh, so his advice is almost certainly worth heeding. He said that <laughs> yeah, literally, that many of your games can be won with no rig or even barely any cards at all.
2: And those are great, cool wins because you look at the yeah. board at the end, you shake hands, and then you're like, I needed. Two cards and my own cunning.
1: Yes, <laughs> to, to take this victory, and yeah. that's and that's super. Yeah, Be- and so and kind of the the um, interestingly enough, in that uh, post on Fantasy Flight's website about Upstock and the new expansion, uh, the game's lead designer Lucas Litzinger kind of talked about what the design intents for that expansion were that uh, cycle. Uh, and it's actually super interesting. People should go check it out. Um, but he kind of identifies that broadly the game has three phases, right? Right. That right at the beginning, um, the runner has a lot more advantages than a corporation does because, as we said, they, don't have, they have very little to lose. Um, then in mid game, once the corp has kind of started to get some more, or res some of its ice, built up some of its credits, maybe scored an agenda or two, then they kind of have the upper hand. And then at that late game, generally things swing, swing back to the runner side because they have all their icebreakers installed. They're going to be get, as long as they got the money, they're getting through all your servers, no matter what. And then it's the corp. it's about the corporation finding like a window of opportunity to sneak in those one or two last points of agendas. Yeah. So because of that, during that early first phase of the game, the runner definitely, as much as possible, you want to be picking up like one or two points worth of agendas at least before things kind of swing into that mid-game phase where the corporation it can starts. really keep yeah. you out and then you have to go start digging for your programs. Yeah. Did, um, as as a runner, did you find, uh,
2: when you just started playing, did you find any time when you felt mo- like more strong or more
0: weak? or uh, So beca- because... My first corp, or sorry, first runner was criminal. I felt strong when I basically had my event cards in hand. Right. And I could, like, use that inside job. Like, most, most the two event cards that I found I was most comfortable having in hand because they kind of put the ball in my court were inside job and forge activation orders. Right. And this was when I was still, like, getting comfortable with the idea of running into ice and just face planting into it to find out what it is or not which is yeah. also a cool outcome. Um, and, like, those those two cards are very specifically... I don't want to deal with this ice. I want to either know what it is, get rid of it, or just bypass it completely. Right, yeah. So, like, be, be, th- those cards kind of allowed me to feel like I was in control of the situation before I got comfortable with the fact that even when you're not really in control, you actually aren't in that much danger unless they're gonna pull out some like badass combo and then there's nothing you can do about that anyway. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And of course I mean you do need to keep into to keep in mind like and this is just a thing that increases as your fluency of playing against more different uh, corporations and archetypes increases but like if you're going against Jinteki it's like okay well you do need to be a little bit more mindful about like okay well what happens if they do Resneral Katana or Surugi right. or something um i mean it's it still isn't necessarily a reason not to run into stuff but it's like at least make sure you got three cards before you do it, so. yeah 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 <laughs> I bet the, so this game also has an,
2: an interesting way of showing new players like that Definitely comes into play when you played a couple of games, and that's like the I, the IDs. Like, what am I? What am I dealing with? Yes, a yes. new player's like I'm fighting am What? What? What's a Wayland? That I mean, mean, anything. Is that, is that yeah. from Aliens? Is that what that is? Yeah. Like, yeah. So, uh, and when that clicked for me, I it, when uh, a lot of people attribute it to the colors of magic because it's kind of I guess if you want to really crowbar things yeah. in there. But uh, once you get once you get that, like, it feels so good, I don't know, it just feels good to play. Like, to know, like, oh, I, I know what may be up your sleeve. <laughs> like, yeah, I have a yeah, yeah. slight
1: bit more of a Yeah, it's more like, yeah, you get the, I'm, I'm, you have a better idea of what you're going to have to worry about, right? Yeah. Like, with NBN, I mean, this is just good advice in general, but another good just general piece of play advice is don't run, don't make a run. Generally, don't make a run on your last click. Yeah, Because yeah. if something really bad happens when you make a run, as long as you've <laughs> still got one click to recover from it, yeah, you're probably okay. Yeah, clear that tag, draw yes. that yes. card. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's like, if you lost a bunch of cards to a bunch of net damage, it's like, okay, well, you can probably at least draw back, like, one or two more. Um, yeah, if you're playing against NBN or Wayland, for sure, but generally against everybody, if you end up with a tag, try to get rid of it. Yep. Um, yep. I mean, obviously, if, if it's like, okay, well, they just put something down in a remote, they advanced it. I'm pretty confident it's not a trap. If the only way for you to get in there is running your last click, probably it's worth the risk. Um, but in general, if you're just like, oh, I am just don't have anything else to do this turn, so I'm going to hit R&D just to see what's in there. Do that on your third click, not yeah, your last yeah. click. <laughs> <laughs> That's all, yeah.
0: Sage advice. De- definitely giving yourself like room to breathe after your run is over is is a super important thing until you have like a better sense of what you might be up against. Definitely, there's yeah, there's sorry,
2: there's just a lot more good reasons to run on your third click than good reasons to run on your fourth. <laughs> yes,
1: <laughs> yes, exactly that. Um, and we kind of talked about this a little bit, but another good just bit of realization uh, that I had was like you just only only install your programs when you actually need them, um, and that's kind of twofold, right? Is like one. That just means that you potentially got whatever resources or time it would cost to put those cards down to use for something else. Um, But two, it can actually act as a... It's a hidden piece of information until you reveal it, and so that can actually be a big advantage on your side, right? Like If you're sitting with a corroder in hand, but the corporation doesn't know that... Then they might put an agenda down and start advancing it behind a barrier and the run ice because they think okay well they don't have their fractor yet so I know that I can get in there I know that I can get this agenda through yeah, yeah and yeah. then what on the start of the next round, what do they do oh they drop corroder and then make a run on your remote yeah it's <laughs> it right. like oh, oh <laughs> guess this yeah. paper wall's going away then <laughs> yeah
2: yeah yeah the runner like the, the corp has tons of hidden information which makes them power that's that's their power and the yeah. runner has very little hidden information yeah. so hidden make, information is. Make it count. Yeah, sure. make the most
1: of the hidden information you've got.
2: Though I do love, I I, I would recommend it. But whenever new players like rock down that corroder first turn, and you're like, well, that just ruined my day. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You haven't even raised anything. You're like, yeah. you can just blow through everything. Yeah. You're like, what am I gonna do?
1: Oh no, I'm sad.
2: Yeah, but definitely another, and that's another good piece of advice. Yeah, the, like
1: don't install consoles until you need them. I mean, if it's something like Desperado, where it's like, oh, you want to get that early game because the more runs you make, the better Desperado is going to be. But something like... Yeah, like like a classic was, in Quinn's game,
2: I think it was a first turn toolbox. Right. Which is, it's like, now we're like, why would you do a first turn? But a new player is like, this is awesome. Look how awesome toolbox is. Yeah. I'm going to put this down first turn. Yeah. Yeah. And the player's like, okay, you're pretty far behind. I'm just going to, like, win now. Yes. It's, it's, It's kind of what happens. Yeah. You know, the I, same
1: thing just applies to, like, all your other MU-type hardware stuff. It's like, just because you got an Akamatsu in your hand doesn't mean you have to play it yet. That's
0: right. I, I will say, though, that you should absolutely be aware of, like, what's left in your deck. Because, like, this original <laughs> criminal deck I made, I, I had, like, my special orders in there so I could tutor out the icebreakers when I need them. So oh, I was perfect. only running one <laughs> copy of each of them. Uh, yes. I was like, well, if I draw it, then great. Like, I don't need to use a special order. And then I played a game against Jinteki yes. <laughs> yeah. without installing my icebreaker first, and it got trashed, and I was like, well, maybe I can still win. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs>
1: yes. So, that again, that, and that just kind of comes out with the whole knowing who you're playing against. But against the corporations that are more likely to remove cards from your hand than if you've got something really, really important that you're sitting on and there's no way to get it back it's probably safer in your rig than it is
2: yeah. in your grip. Because <laughs> yes. it's, it, again, the permanence thing comes in. Blowing up hardware is pretty tough
1: in this game. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
2: It's very tough. There's um,
1: like two or three cards in the entire game that let that happen.
2: Yeah, and um, and program destruction, too. It's like, it's kind of tricky for a corp to blow up your programs. So, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. so get it out on the field is a little bit safer than in your hand,
1: definitely. Yes, definitely. Um... Another good piece of advice that someone on Twitter mentioned from uh, a person named Ferris Taran. Um, they just made the rather w- wry observation of, "What's a little brain damage, really?"
2: That's a. G- I think that's great. And that's advice.
1: actually super good. Yeah. Um. Because, like, you know, net damage, beat damage is bad, but it's like, okay, well, I can always draw more cards. But like, brain damage is one of those rare, like permanently, this is something I can never get back from. Yeah, what was your, like, Seth, what was
0: your experience with with brain damage as a new player? Like, was it the scariest thing you've ever heard in a card game, or? I was super psyched about it, because I didn't get hit with it as a runner, but I was running an HB deck with Cerebral Overrider. And you nailed somebody. And I actually nailed someone for three brain damage in the tournament. (laughs) (laughs) And was this the same poor kid? No, no, no. Okay. (laughs) Uh, it... (laughs) literally two turns later, he pulled out a Public Sympathy and just, like, nullified two of those brain damage. But, you know, personal victory. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, So, like, a a lot of the corp decks that I was playing against in, like, our local office meta, uh, none of them were really doing brain damage and I wasn't running Stim Hacks, so I wasn't doing brain damage to myself. Hmm. So it wasn't really a thing that I encountered. I was definitely afraid of it. Like, it seemed like a super, super bad thing to me, especially given the fact that the corp deck I played against most often early on was Jinteki. So I was like, oh, God, like, if I have brain damage and I'm getting nailed for this much net damage constantly, like, oh, oh, there's no way I'm going to come out the other end of that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But, like, from talking to you, Jesse, it seems like you pretty readily take or give yourself brain damage. Yeah. Are we still talking about Netrunner?
2: (laughs) 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 Yeah, yeah. Um... I I found that uh, once I was liberated and realized, like like was said there, what's a little brain damage? Uh, yeah. Stimac is an insane card. Yeah, and um, when when people you know put up that Heimdall two point yeah. and think that they're protected, you're like, nah, I'll just just give you brain damage, and I'm still getting through your, your yeah your stick. exactly. Uh, that,
1: yeah, like a oh, oh, one point here or there. Like, over the course... I mean, literally, like, one or two points over the course of the entire game is really not that debilitating. Um, again, it's less so if you're playing against Shinteki because they can drop a lot of ne- uh, net sure. damage yeah. at you at once. Um, Shrinks the window. Yeah. But against other factions, this is like, one point, eh, You, you usually barely even notice.
0: <laughs> do, do you get... In- Nervous when you've got
1: two points racked up, though? Two points, is you're getting more into scary... Again, against people that are going to deal you damage, it's a little bit scarier. Um, But it also just, like, hypothetically, the cards you're holding are important, and so you can hold less of them at once. Um, And it just means, like, okay, well, you can't have an inside job, an infiltration, an account siphon, and a forge activation order all in your hand at once. But I want all those things. Those are cool (laughs) things. Exactly. That's right, yeah. so, that, that like after a point or two, that's where you start again to be like, Ugh. but it, even if it's early on, like, yeah, like like you said, if, if they think they're gonna keep something safe behind a Heimdall, you're like, yeah, I'll just take the brain damage and go grab that agenda. Yeah. Or probably worth the trade off. Yeah, or did those
2: guys, did they res that Janus? It's like, you know, it just costs one brain damage to click through a, yeah, like to, to actually get through a Janus. It's not gonna murder you, right? Yeah, quick. yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, like, I always joke, like, man, they, they got to make an ID that the brain damage carries over to your next game. <laughs> or something, right? Like, you just, there's, like, this ongoing tally online or something. Like, oh, Nell's no, last game. Like, the brain
1: damage carries over. Sorry. <laughs> I'd like that. Um, any other runner observation? Yeah. Any moments, thoughts, realizations? Uh... Et cetera?
0: So, th- this was an insight that actually came from playing more corp. Or, rather, making more corp decks. Uh... I've, I made an NBN deck for the first time a few weeks ago, and I was astonished by the, like, spread of CodeGate to Barrier to Sentry. I think NBN has, like, three or four pieces of ice that aren't Sentries. It's something insane like that. Huh. Uh, okay, so,
2: oh, I interesting. So, so,
0: by, like, corpse-specific. Yeah, yeah, so, so just, like, beginning to understand that different corps had different, like, I'm... I'm playing against NBN now as, as runner and I'm like, okay, well probably I'm going to come up against a bunch of sentries because most of their ice is sentry, and like, yeah, they might be running a bunch of neutral stuff and all that, but it's probably worth getting my sentry breaker out reasonably early in this. Mm. Um, Mm
3: -hmm.
0: So that, that kind of just like not very specific. These are the cards that they probably have, but more general, like this is the lay of the land in this corp. It has been super, super useful. Um,
1: it the same definitely applies with Genteki as well. Like all their scariest worst most of their scariest worst stuff is all a sentry. Yeah. usually means like I'm playing Gentechi and like turn two they drop a mimic on the table and I'm just like, oh. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> a a a big new new player thing is usually at least get your
2: sentry breaker out yeah. before yeah. you start face yeah. planting. Because all
1: the worst almost all the worst ice that's gonna do stuff that isn't just oh uh, and the run, sorry, is sentries.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And and like Just sort of understanding what the different archetypes of ice was also super big for me, just to know that, like, okay, sentries, for the most part, are the things that are going to, like, tear me down or do a bunch of damage to me. Code gates are sort of, like, the things that'll maybe make me lose, like, a click, and it'll cost me a couple bucks to get through, and barriers are, like, pretty strictly in the run, and I might have to pay out the ass to get through it, depending on what the particular ice is, but, like it's going to be okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think that's a really good lesson for newer players to get because it's
2: it's it is pretty intimidating to know that there's three different sets. Like, well, mm-hmm. what do those sets mean? Well...
1: Yeah. It, yeah, the, the actual subtypes of the ice are not just, like, arbitrary. It's like, okay, well, we need three over here and three over here and three over here. It's like, oh, they all actually mechanically generally fall within a certain umbrella of things that they do. Yeah, they didn't just draw them out of a hat. Yeah, or something.
0: <laughs> and, yeah. and it also maps to, like, costs, so you can... Once you start to realize, like... God, I actually can't remember right now, but I think it's like code gates tend to be the cheapest and then barriers and then sentries or something like that. And just like kind of understanding yeah. that and knowing that because they have X amount of credits in their pool, that means if I face plant into a piece of ice, it's most likely to be this kind of a thing. Sure. Yeah. Um, right. has, has been super helpful as well. Yeah, face planning with the corp sitting on twenty four credits is uh, that's a scary more proposition scarier than, than
1: say, <laughs> well, they're when sitting they're on like four. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is definitely true. Um, cool. Any other runner thoughts? I, mean, I think we moved corp, yeah. Yeah, yeah. to corp. Yeah, that's a good segue to corp. Yeah, good good corp seg. Well, I mean, kind of the the flip side of that is know what your ice does and yes how um, much it costs to bring up. Um, Because often a thing that runners will do, especially if they're a bit canny and smart, they will make a run at... one. If you have a bunch of unres dice, they'll make a run at a server that they don't really care about just to see if you'll waste your money protecting it. Because if you do, then you can't use that money to protect the thing that they actually wanted to get. right? Yeah.
2: Like, they want to score that... They, they want to make use, so they'll force a res on your remote. Yeah. So you can't afford to protect R&D. Right? Exactly. Which new players, they they they, they, they want to res ice, because resing ice is fun. You're flipping cards. That's the whole it's a whole thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, you end up being broke, and then he's walking all over you. Or like, that's when he hits you with a siphon, or that's when he hits you with a vamp, or an emergency shutdown. Or... Yeah.
0: So just just quickly, back to Runner. I know we said we're going on to court, but that's actually a More valuable thing, I think, on the runner side is just like on turn one. If they have two pieces of unres ice out, if you can, if you intend to make two runs, run the one you care less about first because they're probably not going to res both. Yeah, yes, yeah, that's really good. Unless, yeah, yeah, that's Unless like, they're
1: both ice walls, or something. right? Right, yeah, I
0: mean, there are certainly situations where they will be able to, but like I, I use that with forced activation orders too. Like, I will run a server and then FAO. The one I actually care about right. because that'll probably trash it
1: yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. nice yeah.
0: Um, but back to Corp <laughs> yeah but back to Corp I mean
1: boy it's, boy it's bad when runners do that to you <laughs> <laughs> I mean but the the important lesson there is like Early on, you're like, "Oh, someone's making a run." Okay, well, the thing I I do when I respond always is it's res it if I can afford it. If not, I won't. Yep. Um, and that's actually sometimes not the best thing to do. Yeah, in fact, a lot right. of the fun
2: gets is like you don't res the t- first ice, and yeah. then the runner it drives them crazy because they don't know what it is. And, right. And, and and then you're you're resing the second ice or the third ice or whatever.
1: Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. So knowing what you got, like the priority of what you have to protect and how how much that means you should really res this piece of ice is often very important. Um, like, if, if you know, early on you've got an HQ that has, like, maybe one agenda in it that's, like, only one or two points and it, the runner makes a run at your HQ and all the rest of your stuff is untrashable, it's like, is it really worth resing that ice in front of your HQ? I mean, they have a one in five chance of pulling out the thing that you actually care about. It's like those odds are pretty much in your favor. Yeah. Um, and that can also sometimes provide misinformation, right? Like, they make a run at HQ, you don't res, they think, aha, they, they're not resing because they don't have the money. And then they follow up with an account siphon. Here's, yeah, rep.
2: here's here's my siphon window, and that's when yeah. you... And you're actually, oh, on. no, it's just
1: an enigma, and you don't have a uh, decoder out. Yeah. Bye. Yeah. Um, that can be super useful. And, of course, like, if you have no agendas in HQ... And nothing is trashable. You should never bother to raise the S unless it does something really bad to them, right? Unless it's that Katana, then yeah, Yeah, definitely. But if it's just an an end-the-run barrier, it's like, well, there's literally no... I mean, if you're playing against Gabe, he's going to get some money. But against, like, anybody else, they get nothing out of that run at all. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, that's definitely, like, knowing when it's actually important to protect stuff is a pretty big deal. Yeah.
0: Which, which is kind of the flip side of the, like, get comfortable with running without a rig <coughs> and just face-planting into ice. That's, like, the core right. version of that, I think. Yeah is, yeah. is, like, know what you got, know when it's actually worth the money, and I'm still struggling with this. Like, I am super, super poor as a corp all the time. All the time. <laughs> because I'm just like, ah, God, this ice, I want to res it. Um, and that, that gets me into a hole a lot of the times. Uh, so, yeah, like... Be okay so be okay with not rising ice. Be okay with putting down ice in a suboptimal order. Because you're never gonna get it in the, the order yeah. that <laughs> is like your sweet awesome combo trap. It's right. just not gonna happen. <laughs> right, like yeah, maybe right. once in like fifty games. <laughs> and, and and you'll be talking about it forever. Yeah, yeah. Yes. yeah. And like totally when you hit that, feel really good about it, but do not put down ice just because you're hoping that you'll get that other piece of ice that combos really well with it yeah um yeah i, I think we can not even roll back a little bit more and i think uh one of the new things i found
2: playing as the corp was uh if the runner gets constant access to your r&d you can't win the game yes like you, yeah like which which new players like it's it it's hard like now it's like well duh Jess. So, but but when i was playing and he kept hitting my r&d every turn i'm like there's no way i can draw into an agenda yeah, because was, he's gonna be seeing every card. Yeah, when you have
1: that realization, you are like, "Oh yeah, R and D lock is really, really, really bad." Yeah, <laughs> I mean, like you can occasionally, sometimes get out from under it if they like access something from R and D and trash it, and then don't run again. So at least they haven't seen the thing you are about to draw. Right. But the majority of the time, it's like if they saw something was that was untrashable, or they just chose not to trash it because they wanted to keep you R and D locked. It's like, oh, they've seen every they've seen the card you are gonna draw. And if it was an agenda, they would have stolen it. Yeah. So you're not going to get anything you need to score until that is no longer the case.
2: And and I find that the game kind of promotes or wants you like, oh, I need to build these remote servers. So let's start building remote servers. And they uh, newer players tend to leave themselves wide open for a whole bunch of HQ punishment and R&D punishment. Yeah. It's like your, your uh, central servers are so important in this game. Yeah. And I think it's like, yeah. it's kind of like, Oh, but I just want to make remotes and make this cool tower that you just can't get through because you yeah. want to run in my remotes. Like, well, the runners have plenty of ways to get all this junk out
1: of you. Only so, yeah. if I have to,
0: do I
2: want to run on your remotes?
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. That like, you need to have something sweet to put underneath that giant glacier of ice in your remotes. And if they've completely R and D locked you, you're not gonna have anything to put in there. Yeah, yeah. bummer.
2: <laughs> yeah, that that, that that was a pretty early early unrealization, but I think an important one. I think yeah.
1: uh, it's definitely it has merit. Yeah, yeah. Um, and kind of relatedly when it comes to protecting your your servers regardless, um, like d- being conscientious about the composition of the different types of ice that are in there can make a big difference right yes. like if you just plop two big heavy barriers around on top of each other, well that means that if the runner has the ice the appropriate icebreaker to get through that and enough money they're gonna get through it period right but if you stack and then the run code gate in front of a barrier, then all of a sudden now they need two different types of programs or, like, an AI breaker, but that has its own other suite of complications, yeah. uh, to actually get through that server. Um, and then them drawing and installing and paying to install two different types of icebreakers, that's actually a lot of time that's Huge yeah. for them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that is a, a big, important thing that can you know, be the difference between them just, like, stim-hacking... Like Even when you think they don't have much money but you have, but if you have two, two of the same type of ice on a, on a remote that you're trying to score something in, it's like, well, they just drop a stim hack. Oh, now they have way more money than you thought and they go in and yeah. get it regardless. But if it had just been like a cheap code gate in front of Hadrian's wall, then you would have been fine. Right. Um, yeah. yeah,
0: ice variety is super, super important. Like that That was actually one of the lessons that I learned really early on. The first corp deck I made was an HB deck. Mm. and at one point you mentioned to me, like, try Paper Wall in there, and I was like, really, Paper Wall? It seems like it's a pretty shitty car. Like, it strikes zero, it goes away as soon as they break it, like, whatever. And then I played it a couple times, and I was like, oh, they can't get through until they actually go and get their Corroder. <laughs> <Right. Yeah. laughs> that's really huge, especially if you, like, do something really mean and, like, just have three Paper Walls, and that's it for barriers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A, a lot it's of like, people- yeah, go get your Corroder. You don't need it anymore. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's <all> worthless now.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Another big card in that is the, in a lot of tourney plays, Enigma. Like, it's still like staple. Because yeah. you put it on Enigma, it's like, what if they have a Yogg? Then they paid five. They fished out for their Yogg to yeah. solve my three crappy code gates. Yeah. yeah, and uh, I think that's, that, that, that's a pretty big deal yeah because
1: that is definitely like knowing Oh, I mean okay, it's, this is the exact inverse of the runner thing but knowing what faction you're playing against runner wise is also super important Yeah, um, that most runners like the order they'll put their icebreakers down depending on the corp you're playing it's either going to be their fractor first or their killer first like, so their their barrier beater or their sentry beater yes so only on the rarest of occasions does someone drop uh, their decoder their code gate breaker first right Um Generally because they're they're usually the most expensive of the icebreakers and aside from like Enigma and Datapike, there aren't a lot of and the run code gates. That's right. But you can use that to your advantage where it's like, oh, you drop advanced something twice behind an Enigma and if they don't have a ton of money and no programs installed, you're probably fine. Yeah. Yeah. Which is actually kind of a big deal and then you can get into crazy land where you're like i'm gonna have the only three barriers my entire deck are all paper walls which is just eat it that's
2: cool because barriers are usually like a staple like you want yeah. to stop the runner but right. running so light on them they're they're like okay i have the amped up corroder I, I finally got it and yeah. you're like well that's 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 nice <laughs> yeah, that's i'll nice. just hang
0: out with my other ices
2: here yeah. i spent another uh, a big thing i noticed was when you're placing on uh, ice on your centrals uh it, it, you want that ice to be the ones you're raking over the runner multiple times. Yes. Yeah. Like you want them to hit that art like pay for that archer like, you know, three times, not just the once. Yeah. yeah. Which is a which is another thing I noticed like when you actually nail up someone with an archer on a remote they're like, okay, and they, they still manage to get through with all their shenanigans and they're I'm not going to run on that remote anymore. I'm right. going to go somewhere else. So you want ice that you want to repeatedly, sorry, repeatedly grind the runner through. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. Either if, when it's in your advantage, if it's a pop-up window or sure, an yeah. analyzer or whatever, or something that's going to be very painful and annoying for them to break. Yeah. Um, and, like, don't be afraid to get rid of junky ice that you don't need anymore. Like, yes. it's probably worth saving the credits over time to, like, trash an ice wall on one of your central servers if you're going to put, like, two or three other good pieces of ice on top of it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's just sitting there, costing the runner maybe one credit, but they're getting a data sucker token and a credit from Desperado every time they run. It's like, you're probably just better off saving your money and installing two things on top of it instead and just making it go away. Yeah. yeah. Um, and in general, like, kind of as, as, as we mentioned earlier, like, it's it always seems like the corporation has way more money than they actually do. Sure. Because you have all these investments you put down on the table, and you haven't actually paid for any of them. So, when in doubt, just take money. Like, <laughs> yeah. if there's, you're not... There's, if, no, there's no shame. Yeah, <laughs> if you're not really sure... Like, often for the runner, it's not the best plan for them to sit back and just take credits. For the corporation, it is often their best course of action just to sit back and take money. Yeah, yeah. but
2: like, pound for pound, the corpse money is worth more.
1: Yeah, right. And right
0: especially, more. like, if you're not R&D locked, then they're not going to be doing anything that's going to really, like, make a problem for you anyway. So you can just kind of, like, buy your time and... Get ready to res more things in their face. Yeah, yeah. and
2: and that, and that feels very corporate-y. Yeah, too. Right. Oh, I'll sit back and get three. Go ahead, uh, manage, manage my investments, my portfolio. <laughs> uh,
0: so you were talking before Nels about like you have one like one or two point agenda in hand and like four other cards, none of which are trashable. And you're talking about sort of like being comfortable with play, with runners accessing your hand at that point. And I think that's super important. And and just sort of this like being comfortable as a corp thing in general. Um, like, I've I played games where I end up with, like, three agendas in hand, and I'll let them access my HQ, because if they don't pull one, then they're probably not going to keep... They give up. Right. And, like, <laughs> I can just sit pretty with those all day. <laughs> yeah.
1: Or if they do get one, they're like, ah, oh, yeah, I got, I got the agenda I got the one, hand. I got the
0: one. Yeah, like, yeah. It, as long as it's not getting them up to, like, five or six, basically... A runner stealing an agenda isn't that bad. A runner stealing three agendas is bad.
3: Yes. Like, be okay
0: <laughs> with losing a couple agendas. Like, my, my HB deck, I've won with it a few times now, but I don't think I've ever won without, like, a lockout. Like, they will always take an agenda from me. Right. Because, oh, yeah. like I said, HB ice is pretty porous, and, I mean, this deck's not great, but whatever.
2: <laughs> Maybe that's actually why they did Jinteki first, because when, when you get an agenda stolen from you, you at least get... An, like a yeah. little dig right right maybe. you you at least feel like well something good happened at least <laughs> yeah yeah
1: i don't know maybe that's what's going on yeah um but uh, james again actually had a very good bit of wisdom about that where he said it's like um it's it, where literally he just said what's your path to victory don't go broke scoring an agenda for no reason and i think it's yeah. absolutely true like on, if, f- on on both sides i think
2: yes cuz yeah. i've i've done the pay five off of red herrings and pay the two from a Fetal AI. Oh, this is the same Fetal AI, by the way. So I spent seven dollars. This is my last click and I really needed it. Yeah, yeah. I just want to see how the game would work if yeah. I gutted my my entire deck right. to score this one agenda. Yeah.
1: And I was set back for the rest of the game. Yeah, you paid was, seven bucks and lost three, three cards, cards for, a <laughs> for a two point. agenda. And yeah. that's like
2: that was just me being an idiot. But really it's like the game has those windows and no one to say no, kinda yeah, thing. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So yeah, I think I think James's advice there is actually twofold, is that like one, just because you can score an agenda doesn't necessarily mean now is the best time to do so, especially if it'll end up leaving you, like, really behind in terms of resources. But the other thing is, like, know what your path to victory is, right? It's sure. like, well, is this deck going to win actually by, like, baiting you into stealing an agenda or two, then slapping you with a million tags with midseason replacements, and then just, like, either hitting you with a bunch of scored earths after that or, like, keeping you broke with closed accounts or using psychographics to get out your agendas totally safely or whatever, that just thinking, like, when, when you're, like, putting your deck together and thinking about, like, what's the way to play, it's like, well, how am I going to win? I mean, ultimately... The corporation wins either by flatlining the runner or by scoring seven points worth of agendas. But how are you actually going to get there? And it's and so what that can sometimes mean is it's not necessarily the best idea to like drop something and advance it twice just because you you can right now or at this like moment. the
2: first turn astro script which we talked about a lot at last tourney with right. Kaylee which is your first turn as a uh, NBN is you biotic labor install. Uh, AstroScript and then shipment from San Sanit. So you spent all your money, but you first turn AstroScript. Right, <laughs> which is like I, I I would do that just because it's like so hilarious. Yeah. yeah. But but you're you're so far behind. Like, right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, if if your plan is actually just to like score agendas impossibly fast with no bloody money whatsoever, maybe that's actually sure. valid. Uh, chances are, it's probably not the best idea. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Um and James also had one uh, good other point of wisdom. Where does um, he does he want to be on the the show? <laughs> I think okay. We'll get we'll get okay, James cool. on, on the inverse of this episode. <laughs> um, uh, what are your worst case surprises as the corporation? Oh, I like this often. Point. It's indexing, account siphon, keyhole, and early medium. Escher, so, Escher, yeah. So considering like. At any particular moment, and this can inform, do I res this piece of ice or not? Is like, what's the worst thing the runner could do to you right now? (laughs) I Um, love that that question gets asked of this game. What's the worst thing? (laughs) Yeah. And that is sometimes informed by the faction you're playing against. That's right. If you're playing against Shapers, most of their stuff is aimed at Mm R&D. Yeah. So if if you've got the chance, you're probably going to want to keep R&D safe. Similarly criminals most of their stuff either does bad stuff to hq or only works after they access hq or something like that so that's uh, the situation where it's like oh maybe you don't want to res on hq until they try to do that crazy thing and that's when you can actually keep it safe um and while it obviously comes into play least of all uh the anarchs tend to put the most have the most cards that trigger based on either doing things to the archives or putting Cards into the archives I mean, or whatever, going through the trash.
0: Yeah. yeah, when you're playing as Anarch, I would say like you don't necessarily need to ice up archives first thing, but ice it up sooner than you would otherwise.
2: Yeah, um, yeah. It's, yeah. It's 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 always good to have that ice down there before they make that sweet run after milling you a bunch. It's always good to have that that right. down before the sneak
1: door beta, yeah, or right. before the or like some crazy thing where they bring out like retrieval run. With yeah, the, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah so you like bring that. out like a Morningstar or a you know a Femphetal or whatever, right? Um. Yeah, and it comes back to like both knowing what faction you're playing against, but also it's like, okay, well, what's the what's the one thing that I really don't want them to do, right now? Mm-hmm.
2: And I think I think James nailed it with I think Keyhole, like man. Have you ever been yeah especially
1: recently recently <laughs>
2: like holy cow I've, I've played with keyhole I've been keyholed and it's ter- it's 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 so powerful yeah it's it's really about I I'd love what it does to Jinteki. mainly because I hate Jinteki. and this <laughs> this card is just like oh, oh oh here's all these these cards I'm not even accessing it you're just trashing them and it's like glorious it's, oh look a
0: snare on the bottom of your deck yeah <laughs> um, yeah or I guess sh- shuffled in but yes yeah. uh so taking a quick step back from like the particulars of who you're playing against, the first thing that I had difficulty with and sort of figuring this out has definitely helped my game as, as Corp is I had no idea how much ice to put in my deck. Zero. Sure, that's, that's, like, that's
2: yeah. Yes. Like,
0: it took me a while when I was first playing Magic to, like, understand what the ratio of, like, land, land cards you want in your deck is. And, and ice is, it's not the same thing, but you, like, the, the ratio of ice to other shit in your deck <laughs> yeah. is absolutely essential.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, we can probably do, and maybe we will at some point, do like a whole future episode just about like the deck construction sure. side of things. Yeah. Um, but even, yeah, at a super high level, like knowing how, like how just the raw number of ice you should put in a corporate deck, like what's a good healthy number? It depends a lot on the faction, but also like what are the types? How, of those types, how many actually end the run? Like if all your in your run cards are barriers and that's it, your strategy better account for that being fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, how expensive is all that ice to res? Yeah, because like, yeah, big,
2: uh, big ice is so tasty. Like, you want all big ice in there, but you're never going to get it all. You're yeah, exactly. It. It's
1: like, if three-fourths of your ice costs, like, five or more credits to res, <laughs> you better have a plan for getting a ridiculous <laughs> amount of money really, really fast. Or have, like,
0: three each of efficiency research and, like... Oversight, uh, AI, oversight, oversight AI, AI, AI right. yeah, yeah, yeah which and, I really like, want awakening the deck, center
2: I really want that deck to work the, over, the oversight deck i want to make it I'm really excited about it,
1: yeah, um well, I think that was that was a pretty good coverage uh any other final
2: thoughts bits of wisdom uh it never and it, it never hurts to play more, and it's this I find this game fun to lose, so don't get frustrated yeah. if you're losing a bunch, yes because
1: yeah, yeah. There's, yeah, there's usually that, like, there's there's like it's not the, the kind of the learning curve, like I imagine a lot of games are. It's definitely not, like, just a smooth, linear slope. It's like, I have no idea how this game works, everything is terrible, I just lose it, it's all very confusing. Oh, I'm starting to get it, this is actually pretty sweet. Oh no, I'm so terrible again, this is all just, I can't lose, I hit not oh no, I'm actually starting to get it now. It's yeah. definitely like, you get better and then you're crap for a while, and then you get better and then you're crap for a while. So... Being fine with that because it is it is absolutely the case that the game is actually fun even when you're not doing well. Yeah. Also, look at the board
2: when the game is over because you may yeah. have lost, but it could have been six, seven, right? Like right. Like the, for as far as the agenda scoring goes. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you actually looked, like I was pretty close. I was one card away from winning. Yeah. yeah. If I had one more turn or if I had one more credit, when those moments start happening, you realize that the game. Is balanced a certain way, and it's yeah, it's, yeah. and at that it's point, it's, it's like, within, like oh, that, within your reach. Yes, that almost just came down to just like stupid luck, right? Sure, um, and, and, and games need that too. Yeah,
0: so yeah, I, totally. I actually do have one other thing to say about Corp. Mm, mm. Uh, similar to like being comfortable with not resing ice and runners accessing your hand, like be comfortable with your hidden information and use it. Like, my, my yes. corp game mm. improved the most not because I changed my deck, but because I got like, less ambivalent about times when I wouldn't res ice, like, if you, if a runner approaches a piece of ice and you say, immediately, no res, that gives them very, very different information than if you, like, look at it and, like, (laughs) look at your credit pool and play with that. And, like, you can sometimes play with that and use that to your advantage, but, like, realize that as the corp, your biggest tool is that they have no idea what's in your hand, no idea what's in your deck, no idea what's face down, like, that That is so, so powerful, and be comfortable with that. Like Sometimes it's okay to have an, uh, an agenda that's like a three advance with two advancement counters just sitting out there for turns and turns, because they'll think that it's a trap.
1: Yeah, it's a trap that didn't work. And then when you just need two more points, you're like, oh, advance, 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 <laughs> I win the game. You're yeah. like, well, I thought there was a trap the whole time! You're yeah. like, yeah, well. And it,
2: and it never hurts to just take four credits from your pool and just put it aside. Like, put it beside
1: your original credit pool. Just enough for the snare. You
2: just put it beside there and just pretend that you're a newer player. (laughs) I mean, so this is,
1: like, a super simple thing, but this is definitely something that I didn't realize early on, is that whenever you install an upgrade, if it's on a central server, it goes behind it. Because, of course, it does. It's like, you can't put it... If you're installing, like, an upgrade (laughs) in R&D, you can't, like, put it back on the... So it's like, oh, of course it has to sit behind it. But on all your remotes, upgrades assets agendas all get just put into like a pile and look or like same. a little leafed thing or whatever. Yep. There's no way the runner can tell just by looking at the cards which of those is an agenda or asset and which is an upgrade. Yeah. Which is also a very good piece of information. That's like you a key, can put that's something so down and then later put another something down and the runner thinks, oh, okay, well, the first one was an upgrade, but the second thing, oh, that's definitely, that's that's the agenda now. When it's like, oh, you just put two upgrades in front of some terrible piece of ice that you really wanted the runner to go into. Yeah. yeah. Um, which is also advantageous. Yeah. Uh, and I guess the, okay, I said we were going to wrap up. But
0: <laughs> <laughs> and then runner happened. And then runner <laughs> happened. Um, that
1: like because of those three phases of the game, like once you get into that like final third where the runner has all their icebreakers up and as long as they got the money, they're getting in, period. Then as the corporation, it's all about knowing like the tempo of the game and when your scoring opportunities actually are. Yeah. Like, um, I, I, I fence not like Olympic style fencing, but like a Renaissance era sport type fencing, which at a studio here in town called Academy Duello, which is awesome. But in like traditional Italian fencing part of the understanding of how just the mechanics and dynamics of that work is this notion of tempo. And that literally, I mean, it's just Italian for time, but it's like, oh, I know my opponent, it will take them longer to do the thing that they need to keep themselves safe than it will take me to do the thing that will capitalize score an agenda score an agenda score a fencing agenda is that what you say like (laughs) score an agenda I'm advancing this by advancing I mean I'm advancing the tip of my blade into your face three times (laughs) and no one wanted to fence with nails ever Um, it was was bad on so many fronts Um, but yeah like so that notion of like okay well I know the runner is down to just two credits so probably, given the eyes I've got on this server, unless they pull, like, a crazy stim hack or something, I know that they're not going to be able to get in next turn, period. Okay, well, now, now so is use the time that. I need. That's right. And that means that... Late game, you sometimes need to set up places where you basically put down some bait that'll get the runner to waste a bunch of their money and resources, maybe blow that stim hack when you just do it it's just like, just uh, a melange on top of an ash or whatever. Sure. And then, okay, well, crap, now they blew all their money, now it's the time for me to try to get yeah. that thing down and score it. Mm-hmm. Um yeah okay now let's actually wrap up so. <laughs> yeah, that is legitimately all I have to say <laughs> um I just wanted to do one bit of of reader mail because I, I thought this message was actually super 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 cool uh this uh this email was from Kim Nguyen. um that's a great name, I know right? Yeah. Uh, and uh, like N-G-U-Y-N, like Korean, uh, not Korean, uh, Vietnamese. Win. Oh, or oh, I, I didn't mean? know that's how you say that. I thought it was win. Is it win? I don't know. Oh, you're probably right. But yeah. <laughs> we're three white dudes in a, uh, yeah. <laughs> Kim, not, not really, the experts. We're really sorry to what we just did to your surname. Um, <laughs> but she said that, uh, she was basically talking about the experience she had going to her first tournament. And oh, cool. she says it's a little bit longer, but like I said, this is really good. I really like it, so I'm going to read it. Um, she said, "I typically only play with two other people, so I signed up for a tournament to run against new faces and check out the DC. I assume that means Washington DC meta. Uh, a board game geek forum thread already told me that it, that this tournament consisted of at least a few world level pl- world level players and tour champions, <laughs> which." Didn't really matter because I signed up just to learn. I went in with some personal goals. One, win a single game. Two, beat an Andy. And three, (laughs) flatline a runner. Whoa. Because I'm honestly terrible at timing my agendas. So one, I think the fact that she came up with just like three goals and wanted to achieve those, awesome. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Based on the store championship, I'd say the DC meta plays pretty diverse. Uh, All factions were present, though I'd say the most prominent identities were making news, unsurprisingly. And Kate, totally surprising. Um... I was delighted to have my ass handed to me by a Reyna and a Jentecki, Uh the former because I find Kaisa programs utterly bewildering and I've always wanted to see how they work in practice, and the latter because I experienced the scenario you mentioned in a podcast where you're just a few credits shy of winning a game upon accessing Feetal <laughs> I got both now. Um, uh, Labyrinth Games, where I played, is an extremely welcoming shop that encourages players of all skill levels, which is awesome. Uh, I played against a plugged in tour champ that obliterated my traces with early game Triple Rabbit Hole, a card my friends never use. Uh, I watched a noise runner face Jackson Howard for the first time <laughs> to both tragic and comedic effect. <laughs> yeah, if, I guess if, you, if you'd if only like played Corsair, maybe a few agendas, and you were like, oh man, noise is great. Mill all those cards. You didn't know Jackson Howard existed? Yeah. If that showed up, you'd be like, oh. Because glory run noise oh is no God. more. Yeah. <laughs> so, you're, so you're just noise. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Uh, She continues, maybe it's reflective of the game and the community it produces, but the tournament was a weird atmosphere of people simultaneously stressed and easygoing. Everyone played to win, but were generally generous, but were also generous and ready to laugh at any moment, Uh, which I think we've totally found as well. Yes. It's awesome. It's like people who are serious and want to have fun, but they're totally happy about it and just kind of like chill. It's really great. Uh, and, and she says, anyway, to wrap this up, I won one-fourth of my matches with Kit and Making News, flatlined a runner, and never came across an Andromeda myself, though I believe Jesse Vandever I guess it's some guy, uh, won the tournament with her. Uh, I did better than expected, though more importantly, that was one of the most fun gaming community events I've ever attended. Uh, I'm so hyped for the next one, and you guys are great for both hosting tournaments yourselves and encouraging players to go to their local events. Yes, which you absolutely should do. Yep. Uh, thanks for reading. Seriously, you two are awesome. Oh, I, this part is just being nice. Okay, well, whatever. Seriously, you two are awesome. Your guests are awesome. Eternal 7 makes me so happy. I play Netrunner. Best, Kim. Uh, so, yeah. Super. I, for a first tournament experience, that's great. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. But I also think it's not actually... It wasn't just like, oh, she got lucky and must have <laughs> had some like really cool partners. It. It's like, that's what... You're probably going to get. That's probably what you're going to get. Yeah, like, that's get. basically what my first tournament was
0: like. Um I don't know. You yeah, I mean, so the the tournament that Nels and Jesse ran, uh, I guess it was like a few weeks ago now, was my first tournament, and uh, I, I had a very similar experience. Like, everyone was super nice. Like, my first match was against the guy who ended up ki- coming in second, and like... He, he was just, like, really, really nice about it, and he was like, I don't know if you really want to do that. Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Is this or, Kyle? Yeah, Kyle. Yeah, Kyle. He, he's a really nice dude. Yeah, um, yeah And, it, he, like, he was obviously playing to win, but, like, being super, super good-natured about it. Yeah. And I, I had kind of a similar thing where I went in with a few goals. Like, I wanted to win a game, which I did do against a 12-year-old. Um, <laughs> and... I was running mandatory upgrades with Matrix Analyzer in my HP deck, and I went in wanting to score that, and I did it. Hey, (laughs) Ah, there you go. You had Um,
2: very, very specific goals
1: in mind. Yeah. (laughs) I will use these two cards. Hey, those are totally legitimate ones.
0: Uh, Yeah, I think it is definitely, like, for whatever reason, people that play Netrunner are pretty nice. Yeah,
1: yeah. So, yeah, folks, definitely, like, if there's a chance to go to a game in your local area, even if you're like, oh, I haven't been playing, I don't know. um, One, the tournament ranking format, which is called Swiss, generally, after, like, the first couple of rounds, matches people at, like, roughly equivalent skill level. So even if some crazy tournament tour champion, like, if you happen to be, unfortunately, paired against them in your first round, it it hopefully won't be that way for the whole day. Um,
0: My matches definitely got, like, more even yeah. as the day went on. Yeah, which is, like, which, is the whole, so. yeah,
1: which is the whole idea. So it's not just like, oh, you know, if you don't like, if you're not going to be in the top, you're not going to be having any fun. And usually it's like, you end up kind of in the pool of people you're supposed to be playing against, which is actually really good. Um, yeah, and if, there, so, and if there aren't any local like tournaments in your area, there's nothing to stop you from just starting some. Like... That's what me and Jesse wanted to do. It's like, well, there's a couple in town, but they're not super frequent, just because like the shop has a bunch of other game tournaments. They also have to run, so the space isn't always available. It's like we just want more of them to happen. So let's just have more of them happen. (laughs) (laughs) Good work. Cool. Any other thoughts? thanks for having me oh hey, yeah thanks <laughs> for coming <Seth>. yeah big thanks <laughs> nice for Seth Yay. I, I yes, like this guest super thing. good um okay so as always if folks have any other bits of reader mail advice for people just starting to get into the game how their first tournament went anything else um you can email us at terminal7idolfilms.net um you can also follow us on twitter at term7 um and, as always, like, if folks can leave us a review or rating on iTunes, it's it's not for our self-aggrandizement, I swear. It really? Oh. Okay. Sure. Okay. <laughs> it's not only for our self-aggrandizement. It actually, like, it influences search results and stuff on iTunes, so it's just easier for people to find the show, um, which is great uh, if more people can listen to it. Uh, okay. So, as always, thanks again to our recording engineer, Matt Martinson, for helping us have this first time guest in the same room yeah yeah. podcast not sound like butt um Matt has also been recently releasing a series of EPs which I believe he's gonna keep doing throughout the rest of the year Uh, he's doing one EP a month which is crazy but awesome um It's just kind of like dark, ambient, electronic music that feels Netrunnery and is also weird and made with all kinds of strange instruments, but really good (laughs) still. Uh, You can check that out at mattesque, M-A-T-T-E-S-Q-U-E, dot com. And as always, thanks to Ed Harrison for letting us use his song, Tin Soldiers, from the Neo-Tokyo OST... we say it every week, probably keep saying it because it doesn't get any poorer with time, um, <laughs> that it's awesome, it's great music, it's great for Netrunner. Uh, I've recently been playing some Shadowrun as the tabletop RPG, I use it as a soundtrack for that. It's work music, it's awesome, it's generally really good. In the shower. Just In the shower, I'm falling asleep, maybe not. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that is at edharrison.bandcamp.com.
2: Okay, we're going.
3: We're ready to go? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got to remember, we don't do this.
2: I know, rolling, come on.
1: I didn't know if that means, like, talk more. Tornado, run. <laughs> Hurry up. Tornado. T- twister's coming.
3: Twister's
1: coming. Get okay. to the bunker. <laughs> uh, so we'll do this for real now.